Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the Front Porch Political Talk Show with your host, Hatton Humphrey, bringing you thoughtful comments on the news of the day, as well as lessons from the past and insights into things to come. We offer our comments and invite you to add your own. Good evening, everyone. It is Sunday, August 9th, 2015. This is the Front Porch Political Talk Show. My name is Hatton Humphrey, and I thank everybody for joining in. Our show is produced through TalkShoe, which provides two ways to be part of the call. You can dial in, area code 724-444-7444. Talkcast ID is 75570. You can also join us on the web-based text chat by going to TalkShoe.com slash TC slash 75570. You can also join us in Second Life at the Republicans of Second Life Headquarters, or CAFE, uh, the name changes every now and then, <clears throat> which is currently on Cheertopia. For information on joining the show on past episodes, there's uh, 28 previous episodes of the Front Porch Political Talk Show, plus all the previous episodes of the East Coast Conservative Podcast. Uh, links to the articles that we're talking about, all of the information can be found at our website at frontporchtalk.net. Um, you can also send us comments if you're listening on Red State Talk Radio, on your uh, favorite podcast player, uh, on stitcher.com, wherever you're listening to us, you can send us comments via email, conservativepodcast at gmail.com. If you do want to join us, just know that our recording time is 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time uh, on Sunday nights. Now, for those that haven't listened to the show before, we like to start with a fun story, an interesting story, a funny story, you know, whatever. But uh, tonight's episode, we're going to start with a wedding. That's right. We are going to uh, we're going to we're we're going to talk about a shotgun wedding of a different kind. Uh, that is uh, a man who. <laughs> let me just explain it this way. Justin Bundy, Bundy of Tyler, Texas, was arrested in March on a charge of assault causing bodily injury. He had gotten into a fight with the ex-boyfriend of his girlfriend. He said that the, uh, the ex was demeaning his girlfriend's character. They were already engaged, but uh, the judge said, okay, I can, I can either throw you in jail for 15 days or you can go on probation. But to go on probation, my terms of probation are that you marry her within the next 30 days and that you write out these Bible verses and that you go to counseling. That's, uh, according to the transcripts, um, the judge said he would grant probation if he married his 19-year-old girlfriend, Elizabeth James, within 30 days. And he asked her, Point blank. Is she worth it? Um, the bride's father was angry at the judge for pressuring the pair into marriage, was looking into whether this was judicial misconduct. Um, uh, according to most legal 
legal experts. The, the dad's pretty pretty on point there, but they went ahead and got married. The, the bride was just upset that she didn't have a dress, so they they had to very quickly rush in and get a dress. Um, but uh, we've all heard of shotgun weddings, and generally it's because the dad's standing here with a shotgun. It's the first time I've ever heard of a judge, you know, walking in the 12-gauge shell. Now, tonight's episode is, is the title is Raising the Stakes. Um, we pun had, intended. What's that? I said pun intended. Pun intended. Because over the last week, we have had the stakes raised in a number of different areas. Uh, you know, there's, there's obviously there was the debates on Thursday night. There's some other stuff that really, um, that, that needed to be, that need to be discussed because they, they kind of, they, they kind of raised the stakes on things. You know, obviously the, the uh, jail or marriage kind of falls into that, but our, but our first real article um, we're going to talk about minimum wage, and this is, um, you know, this is not the conversation about, you know, it's a mini- it's a living wage, it's a minimum wage. We're not going there tonight, right, Joseph? Right. Um, I think he muted himself over there. What was, but, wait, wait, wait. what was the question? We're not we're not going to talk about the history of the minimum wage, the living wage versus minimum wage, because what we're talking about tonight with the minimum wage is an increasing concern about workers cheated out of proper pay. Now, minimum wage is a state or federal law. Every state has their own minimum wage. So uh, there has been there have been campaigns in New York. Washington State, California, all across the country, to raise the minimum wage, <clears throat> and I'm, I'm, you know, we have talked about the validity of that concept and the impacts on the economy and the impacts on the workforce, up and down a blue streak. But one of the issues that uh, that is now also being raised is that without stronger enforcement the number of workers getting cheated out of a legal wage is bound to increase in places where wages rise. Um, I can think of, you know, a couple of anecdotal stories in my area where even without pushing the minimum wage to the $15 mark, um, because in New York State it was only pushed to that number for fast food workers of chains with 30 or more stores, um, employers are not, are not implementing the minimum wage as required by law. And it really it comes in play in two different arenas, one being the minimum hourly rate, the other being the minimum salary. Now, those that don't know, and I think I've mentioned this before on the show, there is actually a mandated, a Department of Labor mandated minimum salary. And that is whatever the minimum wage is times 75. And that is the weekly minimum wage. So when the minimum wage was $8 an hour, the minimum salary was $600 a week. There are organizations that have said, 
you know, for either number, we're, we're not going to pay that. And yes, employees can complain, but what recourse do they have if the State Department of Labor or the Federal Department of Labor don't have enough investigators and don't have the mechanisms in place to enforce these laws? Uh, a study, according to the Department of Labor in December, uh, a study estimated that New York and California alone, there are 560,000 violations of the law every week representing $33 million in lost income. Think about that number for a minute. That's, that's insane. Um, now, the, the figures represent, you know, immigrants, fast food workers, you know, various, you know, restaurant or whatever employees, you know, the... the but your, this, this was all happening before the minimum wage thing. It was. The concern is, is that now... All, all of a sudden, they've got another horse to ride to, to rather than enforcing the law that was on the books in the first place, we've had this discussion numerous times, mm-hmm. they are anticipating a problem that they already have, that they already knew about, that they already didn't do anything about, and they're, they're now hanging it on the, the successes as they see it on minimum wage, and therefore now they want action. That's that's just bogus. Enforce the laws that you have and shut up. Sure. Sure. Yeah. The um, the, the uh, I agree. First of all, that the uh, it, it's a matter of they haven't been enforcing it. They don't have the manpower to enforce it. Is is the brunt the of this article? They don't have the will to enforce it. Uh, I think it. I think it depends on who who is in who is in charge of the Department of Labor at the time. What the states should be enforcing it. Mm-hmm. This isn't Department of Labor. This is the states. And and if if they don't enforce it, it just not, doesn't happen. The last thing we want to do is get the damn feds another law that the states have been reluctant to enforce and ask the feds to start enforcing it for them. That's mm-hmm. wrong. That's a mistake. It only makes it worse. So let's not let's not let's not look to the federal government to fix this problem. Let's advocate within our own individual states and communities that the law be abided by and oh, enforced. I agree. I agree. New York State is actually pretty they're New York State does enforce, but to the be, to the best of their ability. I think that what I read in this article, yes, they're they're pushing for more federal level enforcement, but what I read in this article was also that you know the enforcement levels vary by state. Well, fine. The, then then the damn feds should sue the state. Mm-hmm. They shouldn't they shouldn't send more weenies out into the fields and byways. Uh, uh, pulling Gibsons on employers. I mean, there's a there's a paragraph in the article that says it all. Some economists, comma labor activists, comma 
and regulators, aha, uh-huh, predict that without stronger enforcement, the number of workers being cheated out of a legal wage is bound to increase in places where wages rise. So what they're really doing is they, because they now have a hypothetical increase in a problem that was not hypothetical at all, they're mm-hmm. looking for ways to do a federal power grab. And, and that's very annoying. That's the standard classical Obama uh, big government approach. Instead of fixing the problem, let's use it to expand government. And if you take a look at that list of people who are bringing this to our attention, Mm -hmm. economists, labor activists, and regulators, now that's not an auspicious group. (laughs) Two out of three ain't bad, but yeah. Well, this is nothing more than you're victimizing another class. And I'm going to say it like this, and I I don't want to... I don't want to go into this topic, but I just want to mention this. It's like the voting, the people who are disenfranchised with voting. And every five minutes, the liberals, some liberal is talking about the disenfranchisement of, of voters. You could look yeah. at it the same way. If you cannot vote, there is a mechanism where you can get to do that. This, that is your constitutional right. On the other mm-hmm. hand, if you are not happy with the wage that you are making – there is another option: get another job, or get a skill to l- learn a skill. Well, uh, okay, all right. I, you know, I want to I want to point out something here. And, and Larry said this very succinctly. This is something that is already happening. You know, my wife is is listening and mentioned that you know there are employers that will use. Well, I, let's let's take the, the food service industry for tipped employees. Tipped employees don't get or you have a different minimum wage with the thought that, with the concept that the tips that they earn will raise their hourly equivalent above the minimum wage. And the complaint that's, that's voiced in this article on the Star Tribune is that that doesn't always happen if it doesn't happen, the employer is supposed to is supposed to pay them the difference at an hourly rate. That's what they're supposed to do. And anecdotally, I can tell you that is not the case in most mid to low end restaurants. Well, in fact, they tend to confiscate some of the tips. Mm-hmm. Frequently. Yeah, they they but, do. But, but changing the minimum wage didn't change that problem. No, it doesn't. And that's really the that's really the takeaway that I got from this um, was that you still have, with all of this push for you know fifteen dollars an hour, fifteen dollars an hour, we got to make fifteen dollars an hour, we got to make a living wage, we got to make fifteen dollars an hour. People are people aren't making the living wage. The push of that isn't. You know, it, it is not having the impact that those activists really are trying to get for two reasons. One, you've got a, a class of employees that is at the is on the edges, and the the managers, the owners, the whatever don't care, and they're not going to pay the minimum wage. There's another class of employees that 
even if they do end up making the minimum here side of for employees. Let's say, you know, the, the the common practices for credit card tips, the common practice is to cash those out every night. An employee still taxes federal tax, state tax, FICA, FICA Medicare, FICA Social Security on their tipped wages. Their employees get their hourly rate and the number of hours they work, if they're really good and they get a lot of tips, they don't make enough money to cover the, the, uh, the taxes in their hourly rate. I know that because I work for a payroll company. We've got a couple of restaurants on our payroll. So this, this article points out mistakes are being raised in that minimum wage debate, um, which, again, we're not, we're not debating the validity of the need because we already have. Um, we've, we've already gone there. But we are, you know, there, there is this, you know, okay, this law isn't being enforced. What is the common practice from folks on the left to do? Uh, we don't care that there's already a law to pass another one. You know, I've, all, I've often said of our, of our elected leaders that they, they get a co- special compensation per pound of paper that they use from the paper companies. That's, that's just my thought. So uh, another group that have that that is you know you mentioned the disenfranchised. Um, there is a group of black pastors that is livid with the Smithsonian um, in their uh, portrait gallery for the National Portrait Gallery installed a bust of Margaret Singer. Now, if, if you don't know what that name is, who that is, Margaret Singer is the founder of Planned Parenthood. And this group of black pastors um, are caught in the Planned Parenthood rage so bad that they might as well rename Margaret Singer to Female Hitler. The letter notes that the rate of abortions among minority communities, specifically in Latino communities, is higher. This explains why elective abortion remains the number one cause of death among black Americans, higher than all other causes combined, the pastors argue. We will not remain silent while the National Portrait Gallery Venom, who sought to eradicate our very existence. And we have... uh, we we have you know talked about the past, the history of Planned Parenthood and the the stance of its founder Margaret Sanger uh, as a very prominent eugenicist and that is that sought racial purity through prevention of I think that's the safest way that I get isn't it. I'm going, to, I'm going to say this. For the, at, for the prevention of interracial births. Yes. If you look at the political trends of black voters, 
and the rate in which they have been aborting babies since Roe versus Wade, you have an estimated mm-hmm. 20 million black unborn babies that have been aborted in this time frame. With the tr- the trend as right. black Americans voting Democrat, if abortion was never made legal, the Democratic Party would never lose another election. And that's when you see that the Democrat Party is are placating to the immigration debate or the people who are trying mm-hmm. to immigrate, it's because those numbers do not add up because they they are losing so many voters because of their uh, favoritism towards abortion. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, it's it is very. Um, but but you know, it's, I don't it's, think it's that very interesting. That has nothing to do with the motivation of the black pastors that we're talking about. They're I don't upset. think it does. I don't think it does. They're upset on moral grounds. Yeah, and and not, I think they're not counting votes. Although probably what what Joseph says is makes sense. That yeah. ain't what this article is about. No. And and honestly, you know, the the source that I got from this was a quick hit, um, you know, a, a quick link that I found. Um, there's details. This gets into an opinion. This article gets into an opinion piece very quickly. Um, but it is, you know, it's it's good to see them just, you know, making a stand. And 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 really. You know the rest of the article. If you want to read the opinion, go ahead. I don't know that that's. Uh, I don't know that it, that really adds to conversation. Now I have enough. I have enough of my own. Yeah, exactly. Now, <laughs> speaking of speaking of Black Lives and Black Lives, which apparently is its own movement. Um, poor Bernie Sanders. He was simply trying to give a speech to about. 1,500 people in Seattle, Washington, and, and um, didn't get a chance to give the speech and walked away without doing it. And, and actually had a, a bit of an altercation with this uh, Black Lives Matter group um, in Seattle, in downtown Seattle. There, um, he was he was there to tout the. Um, anniversary of the uh, institution of the FICA, the Social Security and Medicare, was going to start, he was starting to address the crowd, and the Black Lives Matter activists wanted to, decided that they wanted to give a speech and have a moment of silence for, um, uh, for Michael Brown. In Ferguson, and Aridger said, "Okay, you can have your moment of silence. You can do that, but I need to give my speech first. And they got into a verbal altercation, and he backed down. And the event organizer, after they had been on 20 minutes, came, and they wouldn't really wouldn't give up the stage. And so Bernie Sanders finally had. To... Now, on the one hand. This this shows two things. First of Bernie Sanders is trying very hard to paint the best that he can. 
but he's also just stepped down to you know for from a microphone that he prayed for. You know, that's um that's a phrase that we've heard before. We heard that that phrase, I paid for this microphone. Well, uh, that, that in this case is probably true. He probably had to pay to have the sound equipment carded each set up and give the speech or in order to have a campaign stop. And this group of protesters just kind of did what they do, said to hell with everybody else. We're going to make our point. We're going to make our speech. We're going to have silence. And we're going to talk about this completely different thing. And Bernie Sanders just went, whatever. So I, I want to know why Bernie Sanders didn't take his microphone when he went home. I mean, if he was paying for the rent on these things, he could have gone over to whoever was operating the mixer box and said, turn the effing thing off. I mean, if he had, if he'd had any guts at all, that's what he should have done. Well, and that other thing that, that, that I wanted to point out is the fact that, you know, Bernie Sanders couldn't stand up to three... Uh, Three angry black ladies and a black and an angry black man. What makes him? Where where does that where does that put him in the range for uh, presidential material? What Bernie Sanders should have done, and what the Black Lives Matters people should have done. First of all, I think it it did this totally wrong. You get with Bernie Sanders' campaign and said, "Listen, I knew you're going to have a speech about socialism and whatever you're trying to pitch." But let us commemorate the death of this man and do this. Because Bernie Sanders and people who think like Bernie Sanders are the biggest champions for the Black Lives Matter movement. So you don't interrupt one of your staunchest allies or your staunchest supporters in a stupid rant to put yourself on national television. What you do is you get with the campaign and you say, listen – this, I think this would be a, an enlightening part of the uh, speech if we have maybe five minutes at the beginning of it and we, we do a dedication to Michael Brown and we, we do the whole Black Lives Matter spiel before Bernie Sanders yeah. comes up. That would have been the, 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 the best thing to do. Don't ostracize yourself by saying we're going to interrupt this man who the people are coming to see. Let's mm-hmm. collaborate with him and get our message out. Because I can tell you, those 1,500 you're, people you're, who were there to speak didn't listen or just didn't care about what the Black Lives Matter people had to you're say. You're giving the activists way too much credit. If they had agreed in blood that that's what they were going to do, they would not have abided by the agreement. The whole point in, in these people's um, style is to be disruptive to take more than they've been offered, to show that, in fact, they're getting their own back, that the, the, this is, in, in a sense, another reparation for how their their great-great-great-grandfather was treated. It's an in-your-face thing, and, and mm-hmm. reasonable, reasonable behavior is not part of their plan, no matter what yeah. the, the negotiators between them and the Bernie Sanders group had agreed to, they would have done exactly what they did because that's that's what they're going for. 
if they had if if they had agreed they, if they had agreed they would have never gotten on TV. In fact, the the uh, the, the press covering this situation would have chewed gum and talked to one another until they got done, and then started listening when Bernie Sanders got up there. And they know that. And the only way they get airtime at all is to be what they were that day. Now, you also yep. have a tale of two candidates. You have Hillary Clinton, which is scripted and as astroturf as it comes. And you know mm-hmm. that these people would not have come 100 feet from the stage. Bernie Sanders, they would not 100 running, feet from the stage. Bernie Sanders, who is running a grassroots campaign for president, would allow this because, he, you know, in hindsight, it makes him look good to a certain extent because he allowed this to happen. You know, he may not have given his speech, but he gave he gave them the floor. And, and you know, well, and, no and what, the thing is that they were offered originally. They were offered the two slot at the rally after Sanders was finished, but they insisted on going for Ghost, and um, the because crowd they knew everybody was going to leave. The crowd asked hang the, around and listen to them. Yeah, the audience asked us to allow Sanders to speak, and the and one of the activists called the crowd white supremacist liberals. I mean, this was an event that was actually organized. Sanders didn't organize this. I, I stand corrected on the who owned the mic. So we put together, and I'm reading this shirt on one of the uh, organizers, Puget Sound Advocates for Retirement Action. So this was an event put together by people that are, are looking for better and, and more implementation of security and Medicare. Um, and, and this is not the first time that Black Lives Matter have disrupted Bernie Sanders' events. And you're, he, they would not have tried to interrupt Hillary Clinton or done any of this because the claim is a well-oiled machine. And they got bouncers. And they would have, they've got announcers, exactly. You know, but the thing that was really interesting is in KC pointed, he said, um, um, he said, I can't believe that Bernie apologized. Um, uh, Bernie Sanders actually apologized to the group, to Black Lives Matter. Um, you know what this is? This is the tactics of the old Black Panther Party. That's what this mm-hmm. is. This is the, this is what went on in the 60s and the 70s. If you had the opposing side, which was the Martin Luther King idea of protest, you would have had a death in, where at the, at the head of the stage, you would have these Black Lives Matter people who would stage a die-in, just to illustrate their point. They wouldn't say a thing. They wouldn't inter- interrupt the uh, speaker, they would have had a die-in. And that would have been more profound to the people who were watching this thing than a bunch mm-hmm. of hoodlums taking over the stage like they just don't care. And that's the difference well, between what Martin Luther King did, which was very successful, and I admire him and his his followers for, versus mm-hmm. the opposing side of the movement, which is nothing more than thuggery. Well, yeah. Well, speaking of thuggery, how how did the debate go? I, I in all honesty, on I was up in you know 
I, I was up on a hill in uh, Boy Scout Erida Camp with my son when the debate happened, and that's probably the best place for me to have been. Um, I heard about a couple of debate drinking games, and given the way that some of them read, I probably hammered before the before the first round of questions was done. So that's a good thing. But I understand that Donald Trump was um, the target for lack of a better term. Depends on who you talk to. Some people say, oh, the debate was okay. Oh, the, the early, the early, everyone that I heard said that the earlier debate went better than the lead. And I've got well, an article that... It was, it, it was less entertaining, the, old, the second debate. I mean, the early debate was less entertaining, uh, but in fact, it was more substantive the the second debate, uh, very frankly, I think, gave us a better uh, view of the personalities involved. And and yeah. very frankly, I mean, um, Trump just absolutely embarrassed himself. Well, and that's, remember, last week I said, you know, we were talking last week about the upcoming debate that has now happened. And I said, you know, I pointed out the advice that has been given to most of the candidates is, don't interact with Trump. And I said, you know, he's all the oxygen in the room. And what happens when you get in an oxygen-rich environment? He, he is, now, I get home on Saturday, and my Facebook timeline is flooded with people attacking the moderator of the debate, Megyn Kelly, uh, for attacking Trump. And... A part of me wonders, uh, is that just CYA tactics from the Trump campaign? Or did she really step across some imaginary, invisible line? She treated them all the same. I mean, Trump wasn't singled out for any type of aggression. Uh, Some of it, he, uh, he brought it on himself by uh, his stupid answers. I mean, if, if, if you say that Hillary Clinton, Clinton was forced to come to his wedding because he paid her to, I mean, and, and the damn fool actually said that out loud. Now, what is, if you're a paid uh, journalist who has, who has been trained for decades on following up stupid answers, what are you going to do when somebody says something like that? Uh, and and that's very going to keep asking you, questions. You keep drilling down, uh, and, and um, so I mean, he, he said that some people were complaining that he had donated to every side of every campaign, and he agreed he he did, and he so he bragged about the fact that he's paid them to get things. Well, the dumb fool wasn't expecting Howard Kurtz to say, "What things did you get?" I mean, he jumped right down his throat. Name name the things that they did for you that, because you paid them, and 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 he wouldn't let go, and and as well he shouldn't have. I mean, no. Trump just absolutely can't count with his hands in his pockets, evidently, which really bothers me because I I mean I like his attitude toward our enemies, um, but you know he he really demonstrated that he's probably just freaking nuts. Okay, I have two analogies about this debate, and I want you all to hear me out. 
The first one is okay. the whole debate in general. Right now, all across the country, you have preseason football starting. And football camps on the high school level, on the college level, and even on the pro level have started. And in the process, you're going to have these players who are vying to be stars on the football field. But everyone knows that you do not hit the quarterback in practice. In most cases, the quarterback has a special colored jersey, so you do not hit the quarterback in practice. What these debates Mm -hmm. entail is all these people vying for the position of quarterback of the Republican Party. And in order for you to make a name for yourself, they're going to go after the quarterback, which in general will hurt the Republican Party as a whole. If they would listen to Reagan's 11th commandment, do not speak ill of other Republicans, then we would not have this problem. But of course, the way that modern politics is working, every play, they're going after the quarterback on the practice field. That's my first analogy. My second analogy is Mm -hmm. When it comes to this debate, the first debate, the world's greatest sword fighter does not fear the second greatest sword fighter. The world's greatest sword fighter faces the person who picked up a sword yesterday because they are they do not know how to use that thing. And they don't know, the world's greatest sword fighter does not know how that person who just picked up the sword is going to react. Now, in that first debate, you had... Ben Carson, who has probably never had a real debate in his life. And you had Donald Trump, Mm -hmm. who really has never had a real debate in his life. They're both great negotiators, being it one one being the neurosurgeon who has convinced the parents to let me operate on your kid's brain, and the other one is I am a businessman, and I want to make shrewd deals that benefit me and my company. Now, you had master debaters on that stage. You had like Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz was a, was a national champion when it come to, came to debating. Everyone else on that stage has had debates because they have been in elected office. And right. they have had to do that. And the idea of you do not know what the other person is going to say, especially if they have never really been in a debate before. Here's, here's, here's my challenge. Here's my challenging. Let, let me challenge your analogy real quick. The, the first one more than the second. I don't want a, a football player for – I want a martial artist. Now, here's the key difference. Martial artists, when they train, they get hit. They take blows, and they learn and they train themselves and their bodies to react appropriately to various situations. What what I'm hearing, and I didn't see it, so I'm not 100% certain, but hearing is that rather than being a martial artist, we had a schoolyard bully in Donald Trump. That's really that, that's really what I'm hearing. And understand, I have I've not been you know, very, very strong in the in the Trump camp. I'm the person that I'm really thinking in this in in this crowd of seventeen or eighteen candidates now. You know, who's going to really you know 
who who's ringing the right bells for me. But what I saw after the debate, not having seen debate, seen the debate, really pushes me away from the Trump from the Trump candidacy. You know, I knew that you know I, I knew that it was scary going into the debate. What what Larry said as far as the line of questions and, th- and his answers really really petrifies me. You know, as I'm watching the chat in Second Life go by, um, you know, the, um, you know the, the 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 main response was cray cray. That was Mandy. And um, Charlie said that he proved that he was a loon and then went after the moderator. Um, Do y'all remember in 2012 all the debates that Newt Gingrich had where he went after the the media or the moderator or what have you, mm-hmm. and he mm-hmm. got a boost in the polls, and he got applauded for it. And even if yeah. you are playing on your home turf, which what Fox News is, Fox News is the Republicans' home turf. Yeah. Even if they – what I saw in that debate, I saw them being fair and balanced. I really did. They asked the questions that CNN would have wanted asked or anyone yep. else would have wanted asked. What yep. they did was they were straight down the middle. They were not partisan. They were having a really good lineup of questioning for these people. And, of course, there was that, oh, they're attacking Trump because he's the front runner, or he's not this, or he's not that. Yeah. But he's, he's, he's not in the establishment. So, so Megyn Kelly got a call from, from Fox executives to, to, to beat up on him because he's, because he's the front runner and the Republican establishment doesn't want him. You know what? It's, it's too early to even know where, where the Republican establishment wants things to go. There's too many, quote-unquote, establishment candidates right now to even try and figure that out. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump to the next article because, real quick, what, the article that I brought up on the debate was the fact that um, Trump's words got him kicked off of kicked out or uninvited from the red state gathering in Georgia, um, which is kind of interesting. Uh, now, the, the, the next article that I have, though, is also on the debate, and it points out the fact that according to um, a nationwide poll of 17,000 people from the Association of Mature American Citizens, which is a conservative organization for those 50 years old and up. Uh, they asked who won Thursday night, included both the first and second debates. And Carly Fiorina led the poll at 36%. She didn't even debate Trump. Trump came in third at 14% with 2,414 of the 17,000 votes. So, Larry, do you want to jump in on this? Well, I'm going to jump in. I mean, now, I, I just I just opened the floor to Larry. You wait, okay. Joseph. 
(laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Joseph. You know, first of all, the Red State Gathering is a private thing that's by invitation only. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, they're doing this to uh, enhance the probability of a conservative candidate winning, winning the right house. And if they came to the conclusion that Donald Trump had so badly wounded himself that he just ain't going to be the guy, which perhaps is true, I think more to the point, though, uh, as I was said in Second Life, that you know that they were they were the, the ladies they were pointing out that basically what he did was uh, sexist. I guess they didn't use that word, but that, I think that's where they were going. And I agree with them. I said he's a misogynist asshole. And so then there was some response. My point is I can live with that. I mean, there were a lot of those types of men who were very successful and did useful things. I could live with that if I remained confident that he was going to kick the H out of Iran and Putin and the Chinese in the South China Sea. But what I got out of that debate was realizing that he's just a bag of hot air. He really, in the end, would keep talking while they took his pants and ran. And mm-hmm. and, and and I I think the real that was the realization that caused the red state guys to just say, Don't bother coming. Yeah. And and the it, fact that, that you know Carly Fiorina the 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 fact that Car- Carly Fiorina led this nationwide poll tells me that at least the you know among the 17,000 people which is a sampling of conservatives over 50, 50 and older mm-hmm. agree with you it really let me down or or took the wool off my eyes i guess yeah okay. but honestly i wonder if that is part of what that debate was intended to do was give Trump enough oxygen to truly start the immolation process. Well, you call it. I mean, I remember you saying those words, and uh, I wasn't sure you knew what you were talking about, but you react retroactively become a genius. <laughs> Hindsight's yeah, I, always twenty twenty, man. I disagree with y'all. I think that Trump was a major winner in this debate. And I say this because not as a Trump supporter, but by someone that knows that Trump did not hurt himself in that debate. He did not hurt himself at all, especially with the people who are supporting him right now. Trump may have hurt himself with the after comments about Megyn Kelly or any of the hot air they blew afterwards. But if you really look at what really went on on Thursday night, Trump didn't hurt himself. Trump may have gained a few more votes because of that. But we are so young in this process that many people will flip-flop between candidates. And I think with Carla Fiorino winning in this poll, you have people who have not looked at Carla Fiorino because she has not been a major player as of yet. You may have a snippet of what her talking points would have been on maybe Fox News, but well, you're not getting. That. I, I don't. I, I don't think he won. Actually, I think I he won. I don't know. I, 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 really I don't think that he won. I don't think he won, per se, um, but he did generate the most conversation. 
and 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 the thing is is that you know if if you scroll down and look at the um we look more at, at one of the graphics uh, it said according to data provided to the blaze from uh Sencio, which is a company that bills itself as a leading global social intelligence platform trump generated the most buzz online it's a social media analyst group studied social media online sites mainstream media sites blogs and forums and Trump has 28.3% uh, among those that were in the second debate. Now, that's and, and honestly, this young in the campaign, that's what they need. They need the name recognition. They need, you know, who the heck is Carly Fiorina? Who the heck is, you know, John Kasich? You know, on a national level, a lot of these names are not known. And so what you're looking at is you've got um, you, you've got this, this buzz that's been created. So, yes, it is a lot of talk. Now, you're also absolutely correct that what skewered him was his after-show comments blaming the host blaming the moderator, blaming, you know, her existence as a female. Now, parse his words however you like, enough parsed it to to complain, you know, to be complaining that she was having her special visitor. He didn't say it. I know he didn't say it, but he might as well have because that he he said bleeding out of her eyes, bleeding out of her ears, bleeding out of whatever. Wherever. Wherever. He said wherever. Wherever. Had he said whatever, it would have been possible to interpret it differently. But when he said wherever, I think it's clear what he was thinking. Oh, yeah. Earlier today. And and, um, and, and, and let me finish, please. And the fact that he has had so many media gaffes just it's it, it it is if he hasn't completely immolated if he hasn't completely burned down within the month i will be surprised go ahead sorry and i want to get to the next next article real quick earlier today Charlize and i were, were discussing trump she mm-hmm. gave me a few articles to read and i asked her point blank are we talking about are we talking about Trump? And the fact that we are talking about Trump means he wins, because what he wants is for us to talk about him. That's what I what, just said. What what happened during the debate and what happened post debate has Donald Trump has taken the oxygen totally out of the room. You don't have Jeb Bush saying, "Well, the the moderators were hard on us." And doing this and doing that. You don't have any of the other Jeb Bush doesn't need to because Jeb Bush is an experienced debater. Ted Cruz didn't need to say it because Ted Cruz is an experienced debater. Goes back to the analogy that I like that I preferred, and that was the the martial artist and and the fact that fighter analogy. What Trump has done was he may have lost that debate. Because he really wasn't on point. He, he he did not have anything substantive to say. It was all about him. But after the debate, 
he started going on a social media tirade about the debaters. And even right now, we are still talking about Trump. We're not talking about the other nine folks who were on that stage. We are talking about Trump. And in hindsight, Trump wins because we are not talking about the other nine candidates. True. True. Trump wins. Let me try something in before we move on. I want to make it very clear that I have no idea. I'm not foolish enough to say, to offer an opinion on whether Trump hurt himself or helped himself or whether he's going to implode next week, next month, or never. Uh, I told uh, Shar on Second Life a couple of days ago that she was giving the American voter more credit than they deserved uh, because she thought they were kind of going to fall in line with her opinion. When I was talking earlier, I was specifically talking about my own personal experience. And very frankly, that's not anything that you guys can agree with or disagree with because it's factual to me. In my worldview, Trump shot himself in the head. Now, maybe nobody else saw that, but I saw it, and he's not my guy anymore. So there's one for you, Joseph. Yep. All right. Well, what I, I, do no, is... I, I need to – we're running out of time, and unfortunately we started recording late, so I, I've got to cut things off pretty quick here. Um, get your last comment in, Joseph, and unless it's absolutely fire-eating, then we're going to real quick – I, I don't even think we have time to talk about the jobs. Go ahead, Joseph. What I would do is listen to King's X culture personality. And the past 10 presidents have been a cult of personality. Okay, get closer to your mic, Joseph. Right now, Trump is the cult of personality. He is the one sucking up the oxygen. He is mm-hmm. the one who is getting those people who would not typically support him to support him because of the things that he are, that he is saying. Yeah. And right now, he is the front runner, and he is going to be the front runner until he shoots himself in the foot or in the mouth, one of the two. But he already has, and that's I guess that's kind of my point, is that he has shot himself in the foot repeatedly. But somehow it's not a big enough caliber gun to get through the steel-toed shoes. So, all right, there are some other uh, some other articles that I wanted to get to. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Um, we have the um, we have the job adding or the economy adding 215,000 jobs, and everybody is now saying that oh my goodness the Fed now has free reign to raise the interest rates. Well, they've had free reign to raise the interest rates before, but have not bothered have not deigned to do so. So um, also uh, stop and frisk is now happening in Chicago, but they're going to tell everybody about it. Wonderful. I want to thank everybody for being a part of the call. The stakes have been raised. and I don't know if Trump did it himself, if social media did it for him. Um, I don't know if Bernie Sanders is going to be you know, the, the better person uh, for the Democrats to run. You know, we'll see. It's going to be an interesting time. I want to thank everybody for being a part of the call. If you liked, liked what you heard, we ask you to blog about us. Tell five of your friends. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. If you didn't like what you heard, you know what? We'll still invite you to join us because you will probably hear different words in a different order. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. Have a great night. Good night, Chuck. Step into the world of power, loyalty, 
and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.